Hey, good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Um, you are here on a very special, special day. I want to let you know that. Um, there is an awful lot going on today on, on a few different levels. Um, first of all, uh, it's Memorial Day weekend, right? Uh, Three-day weekend. But this is a day that we've set aside in our country and our culture to remember those who have given their lives and sacrifice for our country, right? So um, I'd ask you guys to take some time over the course of this three-day weekend. Don't just make it a day of, of picnics and celebration, but if you know somebody whose family has suffered a loss, be it recently or be it somewhere in the past, that you would take a moment to thank them for their sacrifice. And for those of you who maybe this is still a very real a real thing. Memorial Day is a very real thing. Our hearts go out to you, okay? Um, this is also, as Justin mentioned, this is also Pentecost Sunday, okay? Pentecost was a day, it's recorded in the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Jesus has gone to heaven, back to heaven for the last time, and God sends the Holy Spirit in a very dynamic and exciting way to empower the church for ministry, and if you've ever read the book of Acts, it is a continuing story of what it's like when God shows up in a powerful way and the church is basically just along for the ride, riding this wave of the Spirit as the Spirit leads them into new and exciting areas of ministry. So we remember that day to day too and the fact that we exist in the church with the power of, of the Holy Spirit, which is the very power of God in our midst, right? Sometimes I think we, we think that the church is somehow um, not powerful or that we don't have the tools we need to accomplish the mission God has given us. That's just not true. The book of Acts tells us that the very presence and power of God is given to us, right? To do the work that he entrusted us to do. And then uh, lastly, this is the, the season of, of graduation, right? Leon County. So if you're here, if, you're, if you have guests coming into town, if, if anybody's here, welcome you to E3. Welcome to Tallahassee. Yes, it's pretty much this hot all the time. Um, and so what I, what I want to do is, is before we go on, I actually want to have a word of prayer for all of these things. It's a big day. There's a lot of different things going on, different people experiencing different Emotion. So I'm going to ask you guys all if, you would, if we would bow our heads and just take a few moments to pray for this day and what God might have for us. Father, first of all, we thank you for, we thank you for life, for waking up today. And we take so many things for granted, including just what it means to, to wake up in a free country. Um, and to have life. So God, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for all of the parents and the families here who are celebrating the transition of students from high school to whatever's next. And God, we bless them, and we pray that these family times would be full of, of celebration and joy, but also we pray for those who, who don't know what's next, and we pray for the parents who are mourning maybe the release of a child into the world. We ask you to be with them, God. 
We ask you to be with them and bless them. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this power that resides in us, Lord. We ask you to remind us, God, that you are not done working in the world, that you're not done doing miraculous things. And we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear where you're still doing miracles. And then lastly, Lord, we pray for those who Memorial Day is much more than a three-day weekend. God, we thank you for those who've sacrificed so that we can be free, so that we can meet in a place like this on a Sunday morning without fear of somebody knocking down the doors and arresting us or whatever, God. We pray that you comfort those who need comforting this weekend. And Lord, we pray fervently for the end of war. We pray for that day when your scriptures say that all of our swords will be not useful anymore. Um, we hunger for that day. But until that day comes, Lord, we stand with those who have suffered. We ask you, Lord, to minister them in special way today and tomorrow as well. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. All right. Well, uh, around my house, you have, to, you have to know that these three-day weekends are, are actually greeted with a certain amount of, of fear and trepidation. Um, we have something in our house called the three-day weekend curse. Uh, and it goes back in my family, it goes back to, to September of 2011, Labor Day, uh, for three-day weekend, my wife, Shana, and I were taking our kids to a violin lesson with with their brand new violin teacher. We drove up to uh, um, up north to like um, near where Pastor Mark lives and a, a storm was coming through and it was a very brief storm but it was pretty violent and when we came back home, this was the scene that greeted us at our house. Um, our, our neighbor had a 60 foot, uh, I think a walnut tree that decided to come visit our house. Uh, it fell on our house and so the force of it blew out the doors. Um, it act, that was actually our bedroom. Uh, so you can see that if we would have been home and in our bedroom, um, there would even be a, a different story to tell. And uh, that was a Labor Day, three-day weekend. Then shortly thereafter that, we had um, next three-day weekend, I think it was just a teacher planning day, Emily had her, her first knee dislocation, um, and then she actually had another knee dislocation on another three-day weekend. I think that's the second one. Um, then there was a trip to Disney over a three-day weekend where we got, <laughs> the, the kids got head lice. Um, and then if you guys know or have been following on Facebook, uh, this three-day weekend, Emily was involved in a freak accident on Friday and got burned. Um, she's okay, but it's been uh, an, it's been a... It's been an interesting weekend. So you guys can picnic all you want, but every, in my house, every time we see a three-day weekend <laughs> coming around, we just like get the 911 dialed and, and go to Walgreens and get ready. Um, so that's been our weekend a little bit, and we're, we're fine, and we're going to go to a, a picnic tomorrow. But um, just know that three-day weekends have a little bit of a different connotation in the Case household. <laughs> um, so we're going to wrap up in Inverted today, um, and we're going to be going to the Lord's table and uh, I want to offer just a couple comments in summary of where I think we've been, some of the things that we've talked about. But before we do that, I want to 
I want to do what we did when we started the series. The first day of Inverted, Pastor Dan had uh, some guys come up and, and read the Beatitudes, pronounce the Beatitudes over, over our community. Because I hope we've learned at this point that the Beatitudes are a blessing. And I want to do that as well. So I'm going to invite Michael Bateman out here on stage. Everybody invite or welcome Michael. Michael, uh, Michael and his wife Robin ha have served on the, the Red Eye team. Um, Michael plays music with us uh, occasionally now. They've been a long part of, long time part of E3, and, and he and I and Robin are going to Guatemala in a couple weeks, so we're very excited about that. I'm just going to ask Michael to read the Beatitudes, and I want you to hear these again as a blessing, as, as, as something that God is saying about you and to you. So maybe you want to close your eyes and just receive this. Maybe you don't. It's okay either way, but go ahead, Michael. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Thanks, Michael. So we've talked about that list. We've talked about all of those blessings in, in a, to a variety of depth. And to sum up today, I actually want to go back to the, the couple of verses that open up Matthew chapter 5. And I want to just offer a couple observations and thoughts. So if you have your Bible, uh, I would like you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. So the chapter starts this way. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. At the beginning of the series, uh, Pastor Dan pointed out that when it says Jesus sits down, that's the way a rabbi taught in the first century. So when he sits down, it's like a, sig it's like a signal to his disciples. Jesus is going to teach us now, but I want to spend some time First, talking about two words that appear in that phrase that have struck me over the years. Uh, I used to not ever notice them, but as I've studied the Bible more and more, these two words stuck out to me and, and actually strike me. Um, and, and the two words are the crowds and the disciples. The text says that the crowds were gathering. Jesus sees the crowds and then his disciples are there, and he starts to teach his disciples. And for a long time, I just thought that those were just interchangeable words, you know, because, like, maybe Matthew didn't want to repeat himself, or maybe he actually used the same word, and a translator used different words, because sometimes that happens in the Bible. And the fact of the matter is, is that uh, I don't believe now that Matthew meant the same thing. I don't believe that he was just using crowds and disciples interchangeably. 
Uh, Because the two words mean different things, and actually, if you study the Gospels long enough, you find out that when the writers use these two words, they're trying to tell you something distinct about them. So the Greek word for crowds is the word aklos. Let me hear you say aklos. Okay. The Greek word for disciples is mathetes. Let me hear you say mathetes. Awesome. In the Gospels, the way the Gospel writers use these two words, crowd is this multitude of people that are around Jesus often. But they're very unpredictable. They're very unpredictable. The crowds occasionally celebrate Jesus and try to make him king. Sometimes they're just there as a a neutral mass in the background. Sometimes they try to arrest him. Sometimes they yell out to crucify him. The crowds are very unpredictable, but they're always there. They are a character in the Gospels. Matthew does not choose this word, I believe, lightly. The crowds are there, but then Jesus' disciples are there. And the disciples, if you guys remember from even last summer when we did Gallery 13, the disciples are ones who are following Jesus, learning from him, wanting to be like him, wanting to become little versions of him. And they fail a lot, right? They stumble, they don't get it a lot, but they are not the crowds, In the Gospels, a crowd is not a disciple, and a disciple is not a crowd. There is a definite distinction between the two, okay? So that, when you really uh, sit down and see what Jesus is doing, is really interesting to me. Because he's got his disciples right here, you know, around him. He's talking to them But then there's this group of people, this larger group of people that are unpredictable, that might try to arrest him next week, that might try to make him king next week, and they're there all around him too. And I think Jesus, every time that he's saying something to his disciples, I think he's got an eye over here at this crowd. And I think that is something that's so interesting because Jesus isn't interested in drawing boundaries about who's in and who's out. He says, what I have to say to you, my disciples, is great, but don't ever think that you're the only people I'm speaking to. That there's a group of people that are beyond this circle. They don't even know what they think about me. They might want to kill me, but you know what? What I have to say to you is the same thing that I want to say to them. I think that's pretty cool. I contrast that with my character, you know. I want to bring my closest friends, the people who get me, I want to bring them away, right? I want to say things to them in, a, in, a, in like the upper room where, where Jesus has the Last Supper. Like that's the way I function. The people who don't get me, I, I don't want to say all these things to them because they might yell things at me. They might not like me. But Jesus doesn't care about those things. He says, what I have to say, I want the whole world to hear even the people who hate me. So what does he say to them? And again, the list of the Beatitudes is is really interesting. He says, here's the people that God blesses. 
the poor, the poor in spirit, right? The mourning, those who are humble, those who are thirsting for righteousness, who are peacemakers, pure in heart, the persecuted. That's a powerful list, right? And we talked one Sunday about how like, this is not the list of the best and brightest though. This is not the list of of the, the church leaders, Jesus is laying out this list for his disciples with the crowd in mind, saying like, here's a list of qualities of of people who God blesses. And as you look at this list, I think one of the things and questions that that can come up for me anyway is the question, are the Beatitudes about us or are they about God? Or to what degree are the Beatitudes about us Versus being about God. All this list of things, the humble, the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that sounds an awful lot about God's people, the way we should be. And to a degree, that's right. But to another degree, I want to push back on that. You see, Greek is what they call a linear language, a linear language. And what that means, among other things, is that word order is important. The order in which Greek words appear is important because it tells you what the writer's trying to emphasize. And if you were to read the Beatitudes in Greek, what you would find is that the Greek word for bless, which is a word makarios, happens. That's the first word in every sentence. So blessed are those, blessed are those. We don't read in English the same way. We're not so linear of a language. Greek says, here's what you need to pay attention to. Yes, that list is important. The poor in spirit, the humble, hungering for righteousness. But you know what's really important? That God is blessing. And the reason this is so important to me is that if you're anything like me, I can read this list of things and real quick, that list can turn into a formula. Maybe you've even been taught this when you were younger, that if you want God's blessing, become poor in spirit. If you want God's blessing, hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you want God's blessing, become a peacemaker. If you want God's blessing, become persecuted. And friends, I want to tell you there's something wrong with that thinking. Because first of all, what the writer's trying to tell you is that don't focus so much on the qualities that list what human beings are like. Focus more on the fact that what? God blesses. You want to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Please do. Please do. But don't ever think that that is what makes God bless you. You want to be a peacemaker? Please be a peacemaker. We need a lot more peace in this world. But don't ever think that that's a formula for getting God's blessing. You want to be poor in spirit? Please be poor in spirit. Humility is a great quality to have. But don't ever think that that unleashes God's blessing on you. Because you know what unleashes God's blessing on you? The fact that God is a God who blesses regardless of who you are and what you do.
So he's saying this to his disciples. And yes, they make a lot of mistakes, but they're at least his disciples. They are saying, we're trying to follow you, Jesus. And God's saying, hey, God blesses when you do this. God blesses, God blesses, God blesses, God blesses. But then there's a larger group of people, the crowds, who sometimes don't give a lick about Jesus and what he's up to. And you know what Jesus says to them? Hey, guess what? God blesses, God blesses, God blesses. He's a God of blessing. He's a God of blessing. Now, you may not recognize it. You may not say thank you for it. But guess what? He's still blessing you. And so much of the time, I think that that is the way the world works too. I uh, interact with people all the time who don't come to church, who don't know who God is. And I can see God's blessing all over their lives. It's just that some of us have gotten to the point where we can say thank you for it. Some of us haven't got there yet. That's okay. That does not negate the fact that God is a God of blessing. And our job, those of us who read these scriptures, is to make sure we never turn the Beatitudes into a formula. Because you know what we do then? Is we negate grace. Because when we're talking about God being a God of blessing, before he does anything, we are talking about grace. Anybody heard of grace? A couple people, that's good. It's a good start. You see, a lot of us think that, that grace is this thing that gets us into heaven, okay? We think that grace is the thing that God gives us through Jesus that allows us to come into God's presence when we die. And that is true. But it's so much more than that. We're just going to be very simple and very plain. The definition, the theological definition of grace is simply this. It is unmerited favor. Let me just hear you say that. Unmerited. Yeah. So what does unmerited mean? You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. There is nothing you have done or not done to get you more grace or to exclude you from grace. Why? Because God's a God who blesses. He gives. Whether you are poor in spirit or not, whether you have hungered for righteousness or not, God gives you grace. It's a gift. And favor is more than just God saying, okay, I know you've messed up, I know, but come on into heaven, I'll tolerate you. You know, for the first thousand years, I'll let you stay over there in the corner and then, you know, as we get, you know, as you get more holy in heaven and as I get used to your quirks, I'll be, I'll I'll come and hang out with you a little more. That's not grace. It doesn't start in heaven. Grace is, is the idea that regardless of who you are and what you've done, what you haven't done, God looks at you and smiles. And he says, you can't do anything to make me love you more. You can't do anything to make me love you less. This is unmerited favor. And Jesus pronounces it to his disciples, 
but also to the crowds. Jesus has something profoundly important that he wants to say about God. Yes, the Beatitudes say something to us. I think they say a whole lot more about God. And that is that God is a God of grace. My mind goes two directions when I think about this. So I just want to talk and maybe, maybe, maybe you'll identify with something I'm saying here. Maybe you won't. Grace is hard for me, okay? Uh, when you bump up against grace, unmerited favor, sometimes it is withering to accept because everything in my nature says, God, I get that you love me. I get that you love me. Just let me show you, God, that, that I can... I can have a good prayer life. God, just let me show you that, that I can uh, maybe make it a day and, and not be so prideful or arrogant or self-centered that I exclude everybody around. Let me get that right first, God, and then I'll accept your love because then I can understand it. I've done something for you, God. I've done something. I've become humble. I've prayed I've, I've led people in worship. I've, I've managed to counsel somebody and not feel like I screwed it up. And you know what God says? He says, those are fine, Eric, but don't you know I would have loved you anyway? Everything inside my human self says, let me do something to show you, God, to, get, to earn your grace. And God says, I like that you've done that, but I would have loved you anyway. In fact, I don't love you anymore because you did that stuff. But I love you. That's unmerited favor. And I have struggled with that. I'm much better with the formula. You know, I'm not too smart at math, but the formula that says, if I do this, one plus one plus one equals God's favor. And God says, grace isn't a matter of mathematics. It just is. The other part of me, and this is even harder for me to talk about maybe, is that there's a part of me also that when I manage to get my life together and when I manage to point myself at Jesus and follow in his footsteps a little bit, I can become a little prideful. And then I look at other people here. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that, that you know, there are people here, well, whatever, I'm just gonna say it. You know, there are people here who, I came here um, eight years ago, almost nine years ago. There are, there are people that I've known for eight years and, and the conversations of the things that you're struggling with eight years ago are the things you're struggling with now. There, there are people that we interact with at pastors that have never grown one step in nine years. And as a person that burns for discipleship, that burns for transformation, that knows that you can grow beyond your brokenness, right? There's a part of me that just goes, oh man, when are they gonna get it? But you know what God says? God says, man, I love them. I love them. And the human side of me goes, that's not fair, God. God. 
you know what God says? Eric, you don't understand grace yet. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Because I wouldn't have it any other way. Unmerited favor. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you any more. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you any less. That is the message of the Beatitudes. That is the message of our God. Um, one more interesting thing. I actually want to circle back to uh, Matthew 5, 1 and 2 again. I want to talk about one more little word that just kind of infuses you and lets you know how big this story of grace is. Again, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them, okay? Matthew has a thing for mountains. His gospel is full of mountain episodes, six or seven of them. Significant things happen. This is the first one. Matthew loves mountains. And over time, what scholars have done is tried to look at well, what's going on with these mountains. Why does Matthew have this thing for mountains? I can't talk about them all, but I can talk about this one, okay? Matthew 5 is the first teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples, 5, 6, and 7. And he goes up on a mountain to do it. And this is not a new idea. In Exodus 19 and 20, Moses is leading his people. He's led them out of Egypt. They've been set free. And God brings them to a mountain, Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19 and 20, Moses starts going up this mountain. He goes up and talks with God. God says some stuff. Moses comes down, talks to the people. There's a big negotiation going on. And then in Exodus 20, God gives his people the law, the Ten Commandments, the instruction. He says, this is the way I want you to live. So on a mountain, Moses receives instruction and he gives it to the people. Matthew 5, Jesus goes up on a mountain and he begins to teach his disciples. What Matthew is doing is drawing a straight line from Jesus to Exodus. And I want to show you a really cool thing in Exodus 20. Because I think sometimes our mind goes like this, that, that, that God in the Old Testament was really angry, really finicky, kind of unpredictable, might burn you up if you make a wrong move, right? Let me tell you, the God of grace is not just the God of the New Testament. The God of grace is alive and well in the Old Testament. Now, that doesn't mean that the Old Testament is not full of some crazy stuff. It is. It's hard to understand. Completely different agenda than the New Testament. But the God of grace is alive and well in the Old Testament. Let me show you what I mean. Exodus 20 starts like this. Moses has been given the law, and this says like this. Then God gave the people all these what? Instructions. He says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. That's the way the Ten Commandments start. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Words of God, the law, the instruction. But is that statement an instruction? No. 
You see, if grace worked the way I wanted it to work, if grace worked the way I would think it would work, then God would have worked, God would have done like this. He would have gone to the Jews while they were still slaves in Egypt. And he would have said, hey, I got these 10 commandments. I want you to do these 10 commandments. I'm a big God. I'm gonna do some crazy stuff. Do these 10 commandments. When you get them right, I'll set you free. But is that what happened? No. God goes to this group of slaves who have no power, who are oppressed, no money, no glamour, no resources. And God says, you know what? I'm gonna set you free. I'm gonna take you to this mountain. I'm gonna tell you what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you these 10 commandments. They're pretty basic things. Don't murder. Okay, that's good. I think we can all agree with that one. But before I even give you that, you know what I'm gonna remind you? I'll remind you that I set you free when you didn't deserve it. Not because you were the best and the brightest. Because you know why? Because of unmerited favor. So Jesus is about to tell his disciples, here's how I want you to live. But you know what you have to know before that? You're blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. Don't turn these guidelines for living into a formula that makes you think you're going to get my love because guess what? I love everybody. That's a beautiful thing. I'm gonna invite the, the, the band out on stage. We're going to be moving towards the Lord's table. But before, they, they, before we get there, I actually, actually asked them uh, this week if they would play a song. And uh, surprise, the song's called Grace. Um, it's off of U2's record, All That You Can't Leave Behind. Uh, and I just think this is a beautiful statement of what grace is and how we should receive it today. So listen to this as they play this song. My favorite lines of this song is at the end. And it says, uh, what once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stains. Grace finds beauty in ugly things. Grace finds goodness in everything. Today, this table, this bread and this cup is a table of grace. You come to this table, to come to this table is to come and declare that you can never be good enough to earn God's grace, but you don't have to be. God gives it freely. It is a declaration of weakness. To stand up and walk up to this table or that table is to stand up and say, you know what, I don't have it all together, but guess what, there's a God who loves me. And do I want to be a, a person who hungers for righteousness? Yes. Do I want to be a peacemaker? Yes. Do I want to be humble and poor in spirit? Yes. But that is not what makes me me. What makes me me is unmerited favor. A God who smiles in spite of my 
ugliness and my defects. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he gave thanks to God, and then he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body that's broken for you because of grace. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant of grace between God and his people. And he said, take this and drink and do this in remembrance of me. What's gonna happen is the band is gonna play that song again. Because why not? Because you too. Because grace, right? Because grace. And I want to invite you to come to the table as a remembrance of grace. And maybe you need to release that thing that you've been trying to earn God's favor with. Maybe you need to release the fact that like, God, I pray really well. I'm not, I'm just saying, I pray really well. God, I'm a really good person. God, I've been minding my P's and Q's. Maybe you need to remind that, just forget that for a second and go, you know what? God, you love me and thank you. Maybe you need to release that thing that's on the flip side of that. Maybe you need to say, God, you know that thing that I can't get over? That behavior that I can't stop? That hatred that I'm carrying for myself, God, I release it because, because grace. Because you bless in spite of everything. Come to the table as you feel led in an act of acceptance of grace and worship.